Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. Bible's turn with me, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, going to wrap up uh, our thoughts. We've been going through um, heaven, talked about hell, we talked um, about the roads that lead to those uh, two places, and so we want to wrap this up uh, with three thoughts, three thoughts, or three things you can do that last forever, three actions you can take that have eternal value. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's look back at verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why don't you say that with me? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. One more time. Let's get it together. I know I'm, conf- I know I'm all over the place. I don't have rhythm, so you have to figure it out. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the gift of your word that you didn't leave us to go about life aimlessly or even to go about things of eternal value uh, without your leadership. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace that comes in the revelation or comes through the revelation of truth. And Father, today we ask that you reveal in deeper ways your truth about eternity in each of our lives and how we can store up treasures in heaven. In Jesus' name, if you receive that, if you believe that, say amen. Amen. 81% of Americans believe in life after death. 81% of Americans believe in life after death. This is what Solomon said. He said that God has placed eternity in the heart of every man. Colossians 3 and verse 1 says we are to set our hearts, our sights on the reality of heaven. We're to set our sights on the realness, the Not just the spiritual side of heaven, but the reality, the physical, tangible, literal, geographical place called heaven. And here Matthew chapter 6 says that we should not only be thinking about setting our sights there, but there are things that we can do to prepare for eternity. That we can store up treasures in heaven. That phrase, store up treasures in heaven, is mentioned five times in the New Testament. Jesus over and over is mentioning to us, we need to be doing something here to store up treasures in heaven. The word store up there means to put away valuables for future use. Isn't that interesting that there's things that we can do here on earth that store up treasure or valuables in heaven that one day we'll actually need? I don't know exactly how this works, but evidently it's important. You say, well, I just think it's good that I make it to heaven. I just am glad I'm going to be there. I, I get that. I understand that. I made it. I'm in heaven. Jesus is there. I'm there. I'm good. 
I don't care if I have anything else. I've got that. But if that's all that was important, Jesus wouldn't have taught us this. So he, he wants us to know there are going to be some things that you and I have to consider, not just about where we're going, but how we're going to live once we get there. So let's think about it real quick. We would know that, that this particular text is not talking about where we will spend eternity. Where, according to who Jesus is talking to, has already been established. We would know that you don't make it to heaven based on works, right? You don't, you don't receive salvation by anything that you do. You don't earn salvation, right? Salvation is a gift. Jesus paid for the, us to have salvation. The price was paid in full on the cross. That's the finished work of Jesus. You can't do anything to add to that. You can't do anything to take away from that. Jesus fulfilled everything that was needed for you and I to receive salvation. He did everything that was needed on the cross. You can do nothing to add to that. You can't supplement it. It was fully earned by Jesus and Jesus alone. This is important that we understand because we're not trying to work ourselves into heaven. We're not trying to earn our way into heaven. We don't have to do, do, do anything. Jesus has already done, done, done everything that's needed for us through the cross. Now, this is the gift we receive, the gift of salvation. This establishes where we will spend eternity. Receive Christ and eternity in heaven is your home. That's where. This isn't talking about where. Where is determined. You love the Lord. You love Jesus. You've given him your heart. You've given him your life. Your, your, your eternal destination is heaven. You're on the narrow road. Now... This scripture is talking about how you will live once you get there. So evidently, you and I will have needs and desires when we get to heaven. So remember, heaven is not just a spiritual place. It is a real physical place. The book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, says 15 times that heaven is a city. It mentions the details of this city, its architecture, its streets, its walls. It is a literal geographical place that God talks to us about. Now, the Bible doesn't say we store up treasures for Jesus. The Bible says we store up treasures for ourselves. This is something that we do for ourselves. When you get to heaven, you will need to accumulate treasures in heaven for future use. You will use that treasure that you're storing up now when you get there. I don't know exactly what for, but I'm guessing if Jesus talked to us about it, we will need to make sure we're planning and preparing for more than just now, more than just today, even more than just our retirement. We need to be thinking about really the greater part of life, which is eternity, and making sure we're storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven. So I wrote down three ways that you can or three things that you can do that last forever. If you study eternity, if you study heaven, if you study it in any way, you can't get away from these three things. Everything kind of boils down to these three things that you and I can do. Very simple. This is not deep. This is not theological. As a matter of fact, I would call it just a test. So maybe instead of three thoughts, you could ask Three questions. So number one, be a servant. Or how is your serving? How is your serving going? Matthew chapter 10 verse 42 says, And if 
as my representatives, you give a cup of cold water to a little child, you will surely be rewarded. So the smallest act of service accumulates to your account. As a believer, serving is not something you do. Serving is who you are to be. It is who we are. Jesus didn't just come to serve. He was a servant. He was the greatest servant. He was the chief servant. And he calls us to a life of serving. People say all the time, I'm trying to find out what is it that God wants me to do? What is my life purpose? What is my life call? And the answer is serving. Serving is our purpose. Serving is our calling. Serving is our life mission. And you never outgrow your call to serve. Notice that the author there, Matthew, said it's not just that you give a cup of water to a child. He said specifically how you give the water also matters. That you give a cup of cold water. This implies not that you serve. It implies how you serve. That you can serve with excellence. You know, you could just take a styrofoam cup all beat up and nasty and holes in it. All kinds of dirt and take it to a child and be like, here you go, whippersnapper, drink it. (laughs) Or you could think about something as basic as water. What's the best way to serve it? Cold. Cold. He says when you give a cup of cold water, something as basic as water, you can serve it with excellence. I think it's important that you not only ask when you're asking about how's your serve going, not are you doing it, but what's the attitude behind your serving? Are you, are you doing it with excellence? Are you doing it as unto the Lord? Even if it seems so mundane, so not important, so kind of like whatever, who even notices I think it's important that we do recognize that how we serve, the attitude that we serve with is also recognized. And the Bible says when we serve and then when we serve with the right attitude, it's being added to our account. There is a reward behind our serving. The Queen of Sheba said Solomon was the wisest king that's ever lived. And she said the reason that she gave him that that title was because his servants were happy. Every other kingdom she went to and she looked at the servants, they served out of fear, out of obligation. They weren't joyful in their serving. And she had never seen any kingdom anywhere in the world where the servants, not only were they serving, but they were happy to serve. They were joyful in their serving. And when she saw that, she said, I've never seen a king that had the kind of wisdom to make sure that the servants saw more than just what they were doing, but they understood how to go about it was just as important. How is your serve? How is your attitude behind serving? I read a story about Walt Disney and how he wanted to build a theme park, Disneyland in California. And he said, I need someone special. I need someone with with the right attitude in mind. I need a big thinker. And so out of all the people he could think about finding, he discovered Admiral Joe Fowler who is known in history for getting the Navy on the water after the attack on Pearl Harbor. He was 57 years old and retired when Walt Disney reached out to him. And Walt showed him pictures and told him about the dream. And he came out of retirement because he said, I see the dream, I'll take it on. 20 years later, he's built Disneyland 
And now Walt Disney has the desire to build Disney World in Orlando. So he calls up Admiral Joe Fowler again. He's 77 now. And he says, listen, I need you to help me build Disney World. At 77 years old, he says, I see the dream, I'll do it. And he comes out of retirement to build Disney World. Ten years later, Walt Disney calls him back up. He has a dream to build the Epcot Center. That millions of people from around the world could come and see the diversity and how different cultures operate. And he calls him up and he says, hey, I want you to help me build the Epcot Center. And at 87 years old, he sees the pictures, he sees the dream, he imagines the millions of people that will be influenced, and he comes out of retirement once again because he sees that dream. When he was asked why he kept coming out of retirement, even at the age of 87, he said, you don't have to die until you want to. You see, what Walt Disney knew he had to find was was not someone that would just do the job. He knew he had to find somebody that had a different spirit about them. You see, it's not only serving alone that God calls us to. It's the mission of serving, the purpose of serving, the dream behind serving. You see, the reason we lose our excellence, our, our, our desire to serve... The reason we kind of decide to go into retirement is because we've lost sight of the dream. We've lost sight that when we serve, we store up treasures in heaven. And that should energize you throughout your life. That no matter how insignificant, no matter how minimal it is that you do something, even if it's something as basic as a cup of cold water to a child, you should be energized knowing that God sees it and he puts in your account, a reward for future use. I would even say that just like Admiral Joe Fowler, every decade of your life, you need to refresh your commitment to be a servant. Not just in your 30s, not just in your 40s, not just in your 50s, but come on, after you've been serving God for a while, you just want to retire. Let somebody else do it. But I think We need the people that are here, no matter what season of life you're in. Even if you're 87, we need you to say, I'm going to refresh my commitment to serve. God's not done with me. He's got more for me. And be a servant. Be a servant. Be a servant. Be a servant. Look at your neighbor and say, man, you got to get your serve back on. Get your serve back on. Be a servant. Be a servant. Number two, be a soul winner. Be a soul winner. Proverbs eleven thirty says, he who wins souls is wise. The Amplified says, he who is wise captures human lives. For God, as a fisher of men, gathers and receives men for eternity. Be a soul winner. It is wise. Whether you're mending nets or casting nets, whether you're being a part of discipling people or reaching people, understand that it's important to be a fisher of men. When I heard what Rachel said earlier, that this church, just in the month of March alone, saw 431 people that got saved. Can I just encourage you, never allow soul winning to get old. That's why the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices over just one. Because we're to always stay excited about that mom and her two daughters. We're to never lose our excitement over being a soul winning church. Because if we're not careful, this is what can happen to us. 
the group of people, they called themselves fishermen. They know that there's fish in the water all around them. There's streams and lakes filled with fish. Fish are very hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these men called fishermen, they have meetings. They talk about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully define what fishing means. They defend their fishing occupation. They even declared fishing as their primary task as a fisherman. They sought better methods, promoted different ways of fishing, bought new fishing equipment, improved the types of bait. They sponsored special meetings, built large, beautiful buildings. They plead with, pleaded with everyone, you should be a fisherman. Every fisherman should do one thing, you should fish. They formed boards to promote the idea of fishing in faraway streams and lakes where many fish lived. They appointed committees and held meetings to decide what new streams could be fished. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built. With the primary purpose of teaching men to be fishermen. Courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, the history of fishing, where to find fish, the psychological reactions of fish. But they did not fish. They taught fishing. Many graduated with fishing licenses. They built large printing houses, published fishing guides, produced materials devoted to fishing methods, equipment, and programs to arrange meetings to encourage and talk about fishing. The only thing this group called fishermen didn't do, however, was fish. Be a soul winner. Don't talk about soul winning. Be a soul winner. There's nothing like the Easter season that prepares a church more. God, I don't know how he does it, but he opens up the hearts of people this time of year for that special invite. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 lets us know that whenever you are about winning souls, how God sees it. Let's look at it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is called the Bema judgment or the reward judgment. This isn't about heaven or hell. This is what it's about. It says that everyone may receive the things done in his body. That's in this life. This is before eternity. According to all that we have done, whether it is good or bad. When you win souls, it stores up treasures to your account. You're storing up, accumulating Something that will be of value in heaven for future use. Matthew chapter 19 verse 27 referring to any sacrifice you make for the reaching of people. Peter said we've given up everything to follow you. What do we get? And Jesus says referring to eternity. If you've given up anything, houses, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children or property for my sake. You will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. The bottom line is win souls. It's wise. It's a brilliant investment. It stores up for you treasures in your account and you receive a hundred times as much of anything you give up in this life to see someone come to Christ. A hundred times as much is placed in your account in heaven and there will be a day, I don't know what it's for, but there will be a day there that you can access it and use it in eternity. Think about So many different opportunities we have around here to win souls. Be a soul winner. Look at your neighbor and say, that's right, reach somebody. Invite somebody. Come on, bring somebody with you to church someday soon. Or do something to influence somebody for the gospel. Number three, and I'm done. Be a giver. Be a giver. Or the question is, how is your giving? How is your giving? The number one reason people don't give is because they say they can't afford it. 
The Bible actually teaches us that it's almost, it's, it's impractical to think that you'll ever be able to afford to give. Tithing is actually what removes the curse. So it's not just how is your giving, but the Bible actually teaches us how you are to give. It's what the Bible says about giving. So whenever I talk about giving, I always say something really up front with everybody here. I'm not asking you to give to Seven Hills. I'm going to walk you through what the Bible says about giving. You do with it what you will. This is about eternity, storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Be a servant, be a soul winner, and be a giver. And this is how the Bible says you give. This is how the Bible instructs us to give. Proverbs 3 and verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits, that's an important phrase, of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Exodus 23 and verse 19 says, You bring the tithe to the house of the Lord. So first fruits or the tithe must be offered or brought to the Lord and specifically to the house of the Lord. Malachi says it's the storehouse. It's the place that you go and are fed spiritually. If that's not here and that's another church, then that's where you go and you bring the tithe or the first fruits to that place. That's where you're fed spiritually. That's where the meat is provided for you. And that's where you, you go and bring the tithe. You don't give the tithe, you bring it. The reason you can't give it is because it doesn't belong to you. According to the Bible, there are two options with the tithe. You can bring it or you can steal it. That's not my language. That's the Bible's language. I know it's pretty extreme, huh? But think about it like this. The children of Israel go into the promised land and God says, I'm going to give you Jericho. That's the first city of all the cities I'm going to give you. But what I'm going to do once I give you the victory there in Jericho, I want you to bring all the silver and the gold that are taken from that city. And I want you to bring it to the house of the Lord. That's what I want you to do. And they go and they conquer Jericho. And as you know, one person said, I don't want to do that. And he actually took the spoils for himself. The Bible is clear that the next place they went to go to battle, they actually lost. Now, what's interesting to me is God didn't say, hey, I want you to go out and take 10 cities and then give me whichever one you want to. No, he says, give me Jericho. Jericho is first. I want Jericho. And when they didn't do that, God said, hey, you've taken something from me. But if you'll just give it back to me, you'll be fine. You'll be good. You'll be set. The Bible goes on to say, test and see that the Lord is good. He is good. He wants you to experience his goodness. He wants the, to rebuke the devourer for your sake. Genesis chapter 4 verses 3 through 5 explains to us how that we, when we give, God gives very specific instructions of how to do it. Verse 3, and in the process of time it came that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. In the process of time, whenever he felt like it, whenever he got around to it, he brought an offering. However, Abel, there's no process of time. When the firstborn came, that's what he gave. The Lord respected Abel's offering, but he did not respect Cain's offering. Cain got angry and mad. I can't believe you, God. I can't believe how you're doing. These guys like, oh, why are you so angry? Why are you so upset? If you'll just bring the first, it'll be accepted. It'll be accepted. I'm, I'm not here to be a favorite over Abel or you, there's just a way that I have taught you to give and I need you to do it the way I've called you to. You see, a lot of times that's what we do as believers, as Christians. We just say, in the process of time, I'm gonna do what I want the way that I want. I'm gonna give how I feel led. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't say you give as you feel led. The Bible actually tells you how to give. We tithe, we bring the first 
10% to the Lord. And when we do that, God receives it and respects it. If we don't do it that way, God doesn't accept it or receive it. It's not that he won't accept it. It's that he can't accept it because it's not first. Did you know there are things that God cannot do? This is a theological practicality. Because of the attributes of God, there are certain things he can't do. For example, God is sovereign. He can do anything he wants is what a lot of people say. God can do whatever he wants, but that's not what sovereign means. It means he's supreme ruler. He never acts outside of his character. God is who he is. For example, God's truth. What does that mean? He can't lie. He can't do it. God can't lie. He doesn't only tell the truth. He is the truth. That is his attribute. Number two, God can't change. This is called the immutability of God. Because change infers that you can get better or you can improve. But God's the same yesterday, today, and forever because he's best. He can't change because he's perfect. He cannot change. He is immutable. There are some things God cannot do. Number three, God cannot think the way we think. He's omniscient. Omni means all. Science means knowledge. All knowledge. God knows everything at the same time. We think to figure things out. We sit around and ponder and all of a sudden we're like, ah, I understand now. But God's never had to figure anything out. A thought's never occurred to God. He never sits around and is like, ah, man, I thought of that. That's not God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's omniscience. He has all knowledge. So he can't, he can't think the way we think. Number four, God can't be second. This is called the preeminence of God. Pre-first, eminence before, before first, before all, higher than all. God is first. He can't be second. He can't be second. Did you hear me? He can't be second. You can put him wherever you want to, but he's still preeminent. He's still first. So how do we make sure he's first in our lives? How do we do that? How do we tell God that he's first? The tithe is what the Bible teaches us. The first tenth is given to the Lord. Leviticus 27, 30, all the tithe of the Lord, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's and it is holy. The tithe is holy. It belongs to God. This is not a legalistic thing. This is a love thing. Because you love him, because you serve him, and because you understand who he is, you make sure that he is never placed second. He is always first. You know, Jesus in Matthew 23 and verse 23, in red, bright red letters, told us to tithe. He said, you've tithed, but you've neglected the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faith. He goes on to say, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. What's he saying? You should make sure that you're living your life with justice, mercy, and faith. And you should also make sure you don't leave the other undone. You should make sure that you are putting God first. Hebrews says he receives our tithes. It's not the law. It is his love language. As a matter of fact, we know how God loves us because the scripture tells us in the most basic of all verses, he gave to us his only begotten son. Because he loves us, he gives to us. And because we love him, we give to him. And when we give to him, the Bible says that we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We lay up for ourselves, we accumulate for ourselves treasures for 
future use. When you are a servant, when you are a soul winner, and when you are a giver, you are investing in eternity. And it doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just go away. It accumulates for your future use. It's important that you ask yourself, how is my serving today? How is my serving? What can I do to be a better servant. Maybe, maybe what, what can I do to serve in a, a greater way? What can, it doesn't always have to be in God's house, even though I think that that's one of the greatest ways you can serve. That's one of the greatest ways you can honor the Lord. How's your, how's your soul winning? What, what are you doing to be thinking about, praying about? How's, how's your giving? How is your giving? Forget seven hills. Forget about it. Just get, it, get that out of your head. Get the preacher out of your head. This, that ship sailed a long time ago. Come on, we don't need anything. We don't need you to serve here. We don't need you to give here. And we don't need you to bring anybody here. You need to do it for you. It's storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's the thing I love most about pastoring this church. It's because whenever I talk, I never talk from a point of need. I talk from a point of, listen, I want you to receive the eternal reward that's attached to giving, serving, and soul winning. In Jesus' name. You know what? Eternity, a lot of people underestimate it. Imagine it like this. A bird goes and grabs a grain of sand, flies to the furthest planet in the furthest galaxy in the furthest universe, millions of light years away, drops off that piece of sand on that planet, then flies all the way back, grabs another grain of sand, goes back and forth, does that over and over until every seashore, until every grain of sand is emptied from every desert and every seashore on this planet. Until every grain of sand is delivered to that planet millions of light years away. And after all that's done, eternity's clock would not have began to have ticked. Eternity is forever, forever. Live this life, 80 years, serving yourself. Not being concerned with the soul of other people. Avoiding generosity. And these 80 years, they might be great. But remember, it's a blink. It's a vapor. So Jesus taught us, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Think about more than just here and now. Think about more than just this life. Think about more than just how you're living day to day. Live with eternity in mind. Amen.